How's everybody? Good. I like to. I've been reminding Tim all week as his 35th anniversary uh, rolls around that I was only two when they got married. So. No, they are enjoying a great time in La Jolla together. I, I uh, got a text from them this morning, and, and they're just having a sweet time. So you guys get get me for everything. Sorry. Well, we're going to be in Psalm 73 this morning. If you have a Bible, would you turn there? If you need one, just stick up your hand. One of our ushers will bring you one. If you've got a little app thing, you start pushing your buttons and get to where you need to get. And we're not going to read the entire thing in its entirety because I don't want to be over time, but we will read all the verses as we go. So if you want to stick a bookmarker there or whatever you want to do, uh, we will be coming back to that, um, that entire chapter as we go. All right, Psalm 73. Psalm 73 was a psalm written by a man named Asaph. And uh, ironically enough, um, if you go to the book of Chronicles, you don't have to turn there, but... Uh, David actually gives him the job of uh, worship leader in the temple. Um, now, he's not the main worship leader, but he's like the number two dude. Um, so he's like the right-hand man of the guy in the temple. So his job is to lead the music uh, for the people. And uh, it's interesting, as we go through this psalm, it's going to say a lot about his heart and where he was at. Because as a believer, as a follower of Christ, he came to church, he played the part, and yet inside he was broken. And he was dying. And he was struggling. And probably more than likely, nobody knew it. And maybe this is going to be speaking just to you this morning. Because maybe you came here And the struggles that we talk about and the things that we're sharing are going to just be in your heart. And my prayer is that as we see the heart of Asaph transform, that that your hearts would transform as well. Because Asaph was a man who had wandered from God. Now, it wasn't a guy, he wasn't a guy who had committed some outward sinful act. We don't have any record of him failing outwardly. But when we look at his heart, when we read these verses, we're going to see this man was truly broken. He nearly lost his faith. And the reason that he nearly lost his faith was that he looked at the world around him. And he saw bad people succeeding he saw wicked men doing well and he thought as someone following christ why is this life so difficult why is it such a struggle for me and this thought this attitude filled him and almost drove him completely away from the lord but god holds on to this man and he stumbles his way into a richer enjoyment of God than he could have ever imagined. And sometimes that's our faith journey. It's not always pretty. There's two key words in Psalm 73 that I want us to kind of focus on and will be kind of the bookends for what we're going to be talking about this morning. The first one is the word envious in verse 3. 
The second word is the word desire in verse 25. You see, Asaph goes from the envy of the arrogant to a desire for God to be his strength and portion. As he transitions through this psalm, his theology doesn't change. He believes in the God of the universe. He knows that God is who he is. But what changes are his emotions, his heart. The words envious and the words desire are emotional words. And if we look at this world, we see a bunch of Christians who say that they believe in a God, but they don't really desire who he is. They don't have a longing and a passion for him to be their portion. Instead, they struggle and they desire what this world has to offer. And it's this constant battle between what the world has to offer and what they think they need and what God is offering as their portion. And maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you've walked through this Christian life and it's been hard. And you say to yourself, what a jip. Because I look around and I see wicked men doing great things, taking the easy road in life. And here I am, Lord, struggling to follow you. Maybe you're even angry that the Lord hasn't given you the life that you think that you deserve. As Christians, we have a choice to choose God and all that he has to offer or to choose the world and all that it has to offer. Asaph went to the temple every day. He led the music, but inside he was dying. He was struggling. He was failing because what he really wanted at his very core, was something outside. Something that the world told him was valuable but wasn't. Now, it's interesting. As we uh, look at the life of Asaph, we can see this transformation happen to him in this very psalm. And if you're, if you're a note taker, if you like to, to write outlines and things, I'm going to give you an outline of the progression that Asaph goes through. It goes something like this. In verses 1 through 3, he says, I was envious of the arrogant. And then we see verses 4 through 12 where he he says, they have it so good. In verses 13 through 15, he says, poor me. And then in verses 16 and 17, he says, you have these words, then I discerned. Verses 18 through 22, he says, stupid me. Because in verses 23 through 26, he says, I have it so good. And then finally, in verses 27 through 28, he says, it is good to be near to God. Let's look at verse 1. He says, truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. In other words, he says this, those good Christians out there, they're experiencing God. They don't struggle. 
They're enjoying the goodness of God. And I'm not denying that their experience is real, but I'm not there. For us, we can look at at droves of Christians who follow the prosperity gospel that says that if you just have enough faith, if you're just faithful enough, that God will give you all the riches that you desire. The problem with that theology is that the riches of this world are not what we are to desire. Because God does promise you riches beyond fathom. But those riches are found only in Him and His Son. He says this in verses 2 and 3, But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. I remember a friend of mine telling me after college, he finished his four years, and he said, I, I can't be a Christian anymore. I've seen too much of reality. It's exactly what Asaph was struggling with. Because he looked at the world, and he thought the reality that was out there was going to give him something different. He wasn't mad at the wicked people making their way. He didn't want to scold them. He wanted to join them. He saw a lot of lucky people living happy, God-neglecting lives. And if we're truly honest with ourselves, we have these moments of struggle where we look at the world and we see things that are unfair and unjust. We see people making it that serve only themselves. And we say, Lord, why not me? Why do the wicked prosper when I'm here struggling, Lord? I think of all those corporate bigwigs right now just making their millions, cheating their companies, getting tax write-offs from the government, corporate bailouts, and congratulating themselves on how clever they are. But it's interesting when we look at verses 4 through 12, Asaph's, struggle with these people is really telling of the internal struggle that he's having. Because he sees these wicked men getting their riches and he longs to have what they have. Follow along with me in verses 4 through 12. He says this, For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens and their tongues struts through the earth. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is their knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. You see, the the elites in this world can afford to fumble through their lives, to erect barriers between themselves and the troubles of average folks. And what we see in these verses and what we see in our world is that wicked men do, in fact, prosper by their wicked deeds. 
In this sin-filled world, greed and arrogance can, in fact, succeed. That's the way it is. The world cheats and steals and lies, and it benefits them. Our response to this injustice is often similar to Asaph's own self-pity. We cry out to God in our distress of how unfair it all is. We say, poor me. Here I am struggling. And look what's happening all around. The wicked prosper. And the righteous are struggling and suffering to make it. Look what he says in verses 13 through 14. He says, all in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. (laughs) It's unbelievable. His response. And yet so often this is our response. This Christian life, it's just punishment. It's too hard. He's saying, I sacrifice so much to be a Christian. I give up so much and Christ for me isn't really worth it. Often that's our attitude. That if all we receive from following Christ is Him, that we might rather have something else. Is He really worth it? If we have to deal with all this struggle, all this pain, all this heartache... And we see the wicked with their easy lives. Is it really worth it to follow Christ, to have him as our all? Look at verse 15. He said, if I had said I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. Now he knew these doubts of his would upset other people's faiths. So he kept that doubt to himself. And he went to church and he, he sang his songs and he, he fellowshiped with others in the temple. But inside he was a broken, dying man. Because Christ for him wasn't enough. He wanted something more. He put his smiles on. He showed up at church and he made everyone think, all is well, I don't want anyone to know about these struggles of mine. But God had not forsaken this man. God meets him in a profound way. Let's look at verses 16 and 17. He says, But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God and I discerned their end. Just when he was wondering if he couldn't hold on any longer... He saw something new. God revealed himself in a way that he hadn't seen before. Asaph thought he had looked at all the facts, but he hadn't looked at everything. He thought he had seen too much of reality. He thought he had his world all figured out. But the truth was he hasn't seen enough of his reality. What he finally saw was judgment. Judgment for the wicked. He said, then I discerned their end. And his heart starts to shift. And it's at this moment, this great realization, 
that the wicked don't really have it all. Now, the Bible tells us a lot about hell. And for some, that's a difficult subject. But it tells us a lot about hell because it doesn't want us to go there. Hell is punishment and destruction and banishment and exclusion from Jesus and all that he offers. Jesus tells us in John 14, too, that I go to prepare a place for you. But Jesus also predicts that some people, he will have to say, depart from me, I never knew you. Hell is having no place prepared for you by Christ. Being exiled from Jesus, separated from him forever. Hell is not God sending nice people into some, something they don't actually want. Hell is the person being so consumed with self that they refuse the joy of the Lord that he's offered to them. They refuse to accept Christ as their portion alone. They tell God, I do not want the inheritance you have for me. Aaron, after wandering in the desert for 40 years, gets ready to enter the promised land. And the Lord gives him this news. In Numbers chapter 18, he says, You shall have no inheritance in the land, neither shall you have any portion among them. Now, if the Lord had stopped right there, Aaron would have been pretty discouraged. 40 years of wandering for nothing. You mean I get to go to the promised land and not receive any of the, the promises that you have for me, Lord? But it's interesting what he says to him next. He says, I am your portion and your inheritance among the people of Israel. You see, for Aaron, for Aaron after wandering for 40 years and waiting to enter the place that God had promised him, he stands outside and comes to the realization that all that he actually needed all along was the Lord. He didn't need to go to the promised land and have some piece of the pie. He didn't need to receive what everyone else was getting to have satisfaction and joy and to know that he had an inheritance from God. All he needed was the Father. All he needed was God himself. He was his portion and his inheritance. And for Aaron, that was enough. In verses 1 through 15, Asaph has been looking at this world with envy. And now he starts seeing this world for what it truly is. Before he had been deceived by the appearances of things that looked really good. And now he starts breaking through to reality. His perception had been wildly unrealistic. Nobody truly has it that good. It's all a facade. The wicked and their riches aren't really rich because they don't have an inheritance. They don't have God. They do not have the portion that he offers them. Asaph's envy had warped his perception. His self-pity had distorted his reality. 
And we, like him, we can talk ourselves into grievances. Poor me. I have it so hard. Do you not know that you have Christ? And is he not enough for you? If all you can see is this present world, if all you can look around and, and, and desire is the riches that this world has to offer, you're going to become a bitter person. Because the reality is that this life is not fair. That if all you want is the glean and shimmer of this world, you're going to end up disappointed. Because who would envy the elegant rich as they board the Titanic on their luxury cruise? Sailing away to their deaths. So we see Asaph start to change. And his realization is, stupid, stupid me. How foolish have I been? Let's look at verses 18 through 22. He says, truly you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. Don't you see that this man's problem was not that he didn't have enough of this fraudulent world. His problem was his own brutish heart towards God. When we're focused on the stuff around us, it's not the world that's the problem. It's the envy of our hearts that we need to address. The Bible is blunt when it says in Psalm 32, 9, Do not be like a mule. And as you look at Scripture and you see the Israelites and you see the disciples and you see their foolish, foolish pulling away from the Lord as He gives and gives and gives and tries to draw them near, and continually they disobey. And we look at them and we say, what are they doing? Those idiots. God is offering them everything. Don't they get it? God has offered them himself. And they don't want it. They want more. And yet how much are we like them? Sometimes, if you're like me, some of us need a a two-by-four upside the head to wake ourselves up to the reality of what God is offering us. Some of you are led along much more gracefully. <laughs> Lucky you. Some of us need this staunch reminder that Christ is enough for you. That if you have Him, you have everything. Asaph knew what he had in life. Regardless of what other people chose, he knew he had God. And he had all of God, freely and forever. Have you ever thought about that for a moment? I want you to just stop. Think about this astounding truth. The God of the universe, the holy, pure, majestic, awesome, amazing God, has given all of himself to you. Everything. 
and yet we would have the gall to say, that's not enough. How selfish are we? And how foolish to think that that God that we say we believe in could not possibly fulfill all our needs, all our desires, all our hopes, all our dreams. In spite of our own foolishness, in spite of our own wickedness, in spite of our own stupidity, God has given us himself in the finished work of Christ on the cross. David wrote this in Psalm 16. He said, The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lions have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. You and I have an inheritance from God. An everlasting inheritance to be with Him for eternity. And yet we can say we are dissatisfied. That we don't have enough. Or that we want more. Lucky for us, even when we are so foolish, even when we are so disobedient, when when we act just like Asaph is acting, our God is holding on tight to us. Our failures do not overthrow His mercies. His strong commitment to us is more lasting than our flimsy commitment to Him. He has determined to draw us away from the envy of this world into a desire for Himself. Our flesh and heart may fail, but for a God-enjoying person, having God is better than all the riches in this world. So where does Asaph end up? It's in these beautiful words. He says, For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near to God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell all of your works. Asaph was a guy who came into the temple and he sang his songs to Jesus. But inside he was dying. He was this silent doubter this man who thought that the world around him could offer him more than what God could. And yet we see his heart transform from a silent doubter to a vocal worshiper. And God wants you and I to make that same transition today. Regardless of where you are in your journey with Christ, God wants you to have more of Him than you could ever imagine. And Jesus Himself died on the cross so that you could be with the Father forever. Peter tells us in in 1 Peter 3.18 that Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God. David wrote in Psalm 16, In your presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Paul wrote in Philippians 3.8, 
I have suffered the loss of all things, and I consider them trash in order that I may gain Christ. When God wins our hearts, when He draws us to Himself, the task of following Him and pursuing holiness doesn't feel like a struggle. We don't have to come here with that turmoil inside. Where the pull of the world overtakes us and we come here and put our smiling face on and say, Lord, I'm not sure about all this. If he is your portion, if he is your center, if he is your focus, we can know and we can hope in the fact that he is ours and we belong to him forever. I want you to picture the cross of Jesus. If you're a visual person, maybe you need to close your eyes to do that. But imagine him there. His cross tells you that this successful world hates Jesus. And he's asking you to choose sides. Jesus said, I wish that you were either hot or cold. If you're lukewarm, then I will spit you out of my mouth. You have to stand at the foot of the cross and make a choice. You have to choose sides. Do you want God to be your all-sufficient portion forever? Or are you going to chase after the fleeting things of this world? The cross tells us how much God was willing to suffer to win the desires of your heart. He gave everything. The cross tells you that nothing stands between you and Him. Even the foolish values and the sinful desires, all that is washed away as you stand before the cross and say, you are all I need, Jesus. The cross opens the way for you to have God forever. You cannot say yes to everything coming at you in this world. Everything that wages a war for your heart and also enjoy the nearness of God. If you try to do that like Asaph, you will have this internal battle where you don't serve God or the world, but you're just simply lost. And you might even come to this place and raise your hands and worship to the Lord and give Him everything. But He's truly not your prize. He hasn't become your only desire. You have to choose. And if you're feeling a little bit like Asaph this morning at the beginning of this psalm, that's okay. Tell God that. Be honest with Him. Pray that prayer and say, Lord, I do struggle with the desires of this world. I do want them more than you. Beg Him to save your dead heart because He loves to answer that prayer. 
Asaph wasn't satisfied with God, but God loved him anyways and had mercy on him. And because of that, he receives hope. And God wants to give you and I hope in a world full of sinners succeeding. In a world where the wicked looks like they have it all made. And he wants to remind you that if he is in fact your portion, that you will have all you ever need in him. I want to close with this passage out of Lamentations. It's one of my favorite passages in scripture. Jeremiah writes these words after looking around at a world that is in absolute turmoil. I mean, the book is called Lamentations. He's in despair. And yet, in the midst of the despair, in the midst of the struggles, in the midst of his doubts, he can write these words because the Lord is his portion. Look at Lamentations 3, 21 through 24. He says, But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that your steadfast love never ceases. That it draws us to you. And that you are our very portion. Everything that we need. Lord, and we confess that that the desires we have for this world are truly lacking in the light of all that you are. You have done everything to draw us to you. Lord, and our response is only to turn to you and accept. God, may you be our only portion, the strength of our heart, our great hope in a world surrounded by sinners who think they have it all together. Lord, but in the end, they truly just need you. May the hope that we have in you give us strength and willingness to share that hope with those who are needing you. May we proclaim that you are our portion to this dark and dying world. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you for all that you are for us. And it's in your name we ask. Amen.